Uh, this morning, we're going to continue our walk through the book of James, and we're going to start with a really big word. Uh, I try to avoid big theological terms when I preach because I know they don't make a lot of sense to people. If I said, let's talk today about justification, people are always like, what is that? I saw today an article about theologians arguing about what that word means, and they study it for a living, right? Um, but we're going to start with a big word, and hopefully we'll learn what it means because it's, um, it's something that I think is really challenging for us in the world that we live in. And I know that as we walk through James, we've talked about doing it in a practical way. And I promise that this will get around to practical. But give me a few minutes to get there, all right? Uh, the term is theological anthropology, okay? This is really uh, an important concept in theology. And um, we can get there pretty quick, I think. Uh, anthropology is the study of... Anthropods is right, well, kind of. Humanity, right? Anthropos is a Greek word that means human uh, or person. And so anthropology is the study of humanity. It's the study of all sorts of things. Uh, some people would say anthropology is even an uh, uh, umbrella category that would include art and religion and sociology and uh, all these other categories because they're all studies of human beings and what human beings do. Uh, if we know this term, we probably had to take a course in it in school or because of that stupid clothing store that spells the word wrong, right? Like this is how we're aware of this word anthropology. And it's theological anthropology is very similar. It's the study of humans, but from a theological perspective. And the main question of theological anthropology is, what are people like? At their core, are people good or are people bad? And this is a question I know that, I don't know about you, I debate this in my head a lot. What are people really like? Are we getting the angel side or the devil side, right? Because there's times when you're like, man, as human beings, we went to the moon. We could do anything if we really put our minds to it. And then there's other times where you're like, if you give a person 30 minutes, they will do something selfish and mean, right? Like we just go back and forth and waffle back and forth and how much we trust other people. I, it, it plays into how we enter, say, a team. I don't know if you're like me. I'm a very independent guy. At school, I like to do my own project. Group project was the kiss of death because I don't want a bunch of other bums potentially affecting my grade, right? I trust myself with my grade, but I do not trust Billy who picks his nose all day long, right? Like that is not somebody who I want my grade sitting in his hands. And when you work in teams, you know that you kind of go into them one of two ways. You either go in like, oh, this is great. There's going to be lots of different personalities and experience and gift sets, and we'll all be able to work together and different skills will come in, and it'll be great. And there's other times you're like, I am going to have to watch myself because these people are going to stab me in the back the first moment they get. I think we've all had experiences of both of those. And that question is very difficult even within the scriptures. Uh, when you look at the creation story in Genesis, it says that God created humanity and that humanity was good. And so we want to say, see, God created people inherently good and in his image. And they're going to be you know, good people and they're going to work towards good things. But then you keep reading that story, and the first thing they do is disobey and break the one rule they're not supposed to break. And then they start blaming each other, right? Adam, why'd you eat it? Well, my wife gave it to me. Eve, why'd you eat it? Well, it's the serpent's fault, right? And immediately, humanity sort of devolves, and we have this concept of the fall, of humanity fundamentally changing because of their selfishness and their sin. And so theologians will debate this all day long. 
Some people will say, no, humanity is generally good. You give us long enough, we're going to make society perfect. And other theologians say, no, humans are so inherently broken, they are born depraved, and they're going to do nothing but cause chaos the rest of their life. And frankly, neither of those is an explicitly anti-biblical message because the Bible seems to be a little bit of disagreement from time to time, passage to passage, about how it talks about humanity. And one of those passages is here in the book of James. All right. James 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he is jealous, that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. This is why the scripture says God opposes, opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. All right, so we have already seen James talk about sin a lot in this book. If you've been here for most of the series, you'll remember we had the sermon about aliens, right? How sin is conceived in you and then grows full, full born into death. And it's just like this thing that grows inside and gestates until it explodes in this evil in your life. Uh, you remember we had a sermon about the tongue and how if you are not careful with how you speak, that you will end up saying bad things and hurt lots of people. We talked a couple weeks, or I think last week, about selfish ambition and how if you get your selfish ambition first in life, you're going to do a lot of hurtful things. So James has talked a lot about sin. In some ways, he's getting to where he's a little redundant, but this time he has a slightly different spin on all of this. And he says, let's talk about why you people get in fights. Okay, he's like, I know that whoever is reading this has someone at church that they're fighting with. Okay, this is normal. This is what people do. You guys are quarreling. And let me tell you why that happens. And it's really interesting because he kind of, um, I'm going to talk about it in the reverse way. It's pretty self-explanatory, so I think the only way as a preacher I can illustrate anymore is I'll say it backwards to the way he says it. Um, he starts with the effect and then goes to the cause. Let's start with the cause and go to the effect. James says it works something like this. You're looking around your neighborhood at something that you want, and you start to envy it. You start to covet it. You start to want something in your life that you do not have. And so what happens is you start to get sort of obsessed with what that would look like, obsessed with how to get there. And so what happens is he says some of you start praying for it. But these prayers are kind of these ridiculous prayers that are self-serving, right? The God, I would love a Lamborghini because it goes really fast and I promise I'll take groceries to poor people in it if you buy it for me, right? This is the kind of prayers that they're praying, prayers that are about the self. And it's very interesting. James has no qualm saying God does not listen to those kind of prayers. If your prayer is about how to advance yourself in the world, then he is not interested, if you want to talk about how you can bless the people around you, how you can love your family, how you can bless your church, how you can serve your neighborhood, if you want to talk about those kinds of things, God is there for you. But if you want to pray about how you can, to use a, a term of Jesus, build a bigger barn to store more stuff in, then God is likely to say, fine, you're dying. No more of this. I'm not dealing with this anymore. This idea of prayers or asking, trying to spiritualize the pursuit of more and more and more and more. 
It's something James says God just doesn't have patience for. He says, but some of you do that praying. Some of you don't even do that, though. Some of you just become obsessed. It's amazing when I do these Google searches how often the culture just gives me what we're talking about, right? I typed in obsessed for this slide, and I saw this, be obsessed in sales, right? Like this was some kind of like seminar that somebody was doing for salespeople that was telling them how you can become more and more obsessed with making more money and selling more stuff. And James says, that's what you do. You see this thing you want. You maybe pray for it and you don't get it because you've got wrong motives. And then you get obsessed with it. Um, You guys know I use kid metaphors a lot because a lot of my life is dealing with kids. Um, You sometimes when you have a child, you'll see them do this about a certain toy they want. It really sometimes I can tell there's something they want just because they want it. I know that they're going to hate it. I know they're not going to play with it. I know that they're too old for it. But they're just obsessed. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. And it's just like this constant drone because they're obsessed with a thing that they want. And they will be not happy until they get it. And then they'll only be happy for about 30 seconds. Right? And we do that as adults too. We become obsessed with these things. And then the end result is that we do terrible stuff. Um, You know, it seems to be an exaggeration for James to say this is how you end up killing people. Right? But we've heard about it. Um, I re- this week, to kind of think about what's the threshold it takes to kill somebody, I did a little Googling about like people that have died for stupid reasons. There was recently a man that killed his wife on a cruise boat because she wouldn't stop laughing at him over vacation. Apparently, he did something that she thought was funny, and she was laughing at him. He's like, stop laughing at me, and she kept laughing, and went back to the hotel room, and he bludgeoned her to death and tried to throw her overboard. I saw another man who uh, his neighbor's dog was pooping in his yard. And so one day he had enough, he came out, shot the man, shot the dog, no more poop in his yard. Okay, that sounds crazy, but I think uh, the Bible might tell us murder is a little closer to you than you think it is. Because when you let certain things get at you, you just, it can be bad. This is why Jesus talks about hate and, and, and murder. He says, the Bible says, do not murder, but I tell you, don't even hate somebody. Because if you start out just hating somebody, you're going to eventually shoot them. That's not what Jesus said. They didn't have guns back then, but you know what I mean, right? Like, I mean, this is just something that can grow in your heart. And so what James says, without really saying it, is all of this would be stopped if you could just be content with what you have. Talk about a cross-cultural idea for us. Be content Uh, On a systematic level, we live in a consumer-based economy. When consumer confidence is down and when spending is down, stocks don't go up and retirement funds get hurt and people start getting laid off and the whole thing goes away, right? This is why politicians really want you to buy stuff. This is why corporations want you to buy stuff. Our economy works. Uh, Us spending money on, you know, like fidget spinners is how the economy works, right? Anything that you'll want that you'll put money into to kind of grease the wheels of of, of capitalism. And so we're not taught to be content. And James says, when you get out of your sense of contentment, if you start asking for stuff for yourself all the time, then you get into these bad places. And that is where disagreements come. When you're fighting with other people, when you're not getting along with other people, a lot of it's rooted in this. We know from the book of 1 Corinthians that there's lawsuits that go on in churches. There's actually rules about you're not allowed to take a fellow church member to court because it's really embarrassing and makes the church look bad. Figure that out in-house. 
Uh, I'm always interested in this. Like if they let the preacher be the judge or if they like appointed like a jury of church members or something, but they're like, don't go to court against your fellow church member because it looks, makes us look bad. Apparently this stuff is going on in the ancient world all the time, that they're just so, uh, they're just always fighting about something else. I'm sure it was worse because they had class stratification and all that kind of stuff. I'm not doing a good job of being brief. All right. Uh, James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Um, we started out and I talked about this idea of theological anthropology and how we look at other people but the really hard question with theological anthropology is who am I at my core am I honest enough to look at there we go thanks Preston Uh, am I honest enough to look at who I am and what I am prone to do in the ways I am prone to behave. And it's really interesting here that um, James, this is another one of those passages where James kind of doesn't give us a lot of help of like methods to get to where we need to get. He's like, you just got to stop doing this. Repent. Change. Uh, Repent is is a weird word for, good gracious. Repent is a weird word for us because we don't use it a lot in our society. It just means to stop where you're going and turn around and go another way. And James says, all these things in your heart that's causing fights with you and other other people, these things are causing dissensions in your community. Knock it off. Admit your own fault in it. Note he doesn't say, take an inventory to see if you're at fault or your opponent's at fault, and if your opponent's at fault, then blame them, right? There's actually nothing in there about that. He says, look in the mirror and be honest. Draw away from the devil and the devil will flee. Draw towards God and God will come towards you. This is an incredible promise. If you just will try, God will help you along the way. He'll meet you halfway. But it means repentance. You know, there's these images here, kind of praying for forgiveness, kind of groveling before God and then praising God for what God does. There's this idea in scripture over and over that we need to be people who repent. We need to be people who are quick to acknowledge our own faults. I don't like to do that, right? Like admitting my own faults is just not my favorite thing to do. But James says we need it. And it's interesting to me because um, he acts like it's really not that. It's interesting. He says it's a big deal. You need to do it, but it's not that hard to do. You know, it's like that passage we talked about a couple weeks ago. You don't have to go up into heaven and become a monk to figure it out. You don't need to go to some secret place in a cave in the ocean. Just do it. Run away from the devil and towards God, and Satan will flee from you, and God will go close to you. Just repent and change. And for me, I like the idea of incremental change. Um, I'm I'm a kind of guy, I feel like real change is slow. So I'm always like, well, listen, I know that my diet's not great. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make some small incremental changes, right? I'm going to cut out this one thing for this next month or year, and the next year I'll pick another thing, right? Let me just do this slowly. And on that way about spiritual things, I've been too quick to be angry with my kids. I will try to be angry one less time next month, right? Like little, little tiny goals. And there's a place for that. 
But the kind of repentance James is talking about here is what the Old Testament talks about as sackcloth and ashes repentance. You ever heard this phrase? They would have this practice where you'd put on the scratchy sackcloth and you would take ashes and you'd smear them all over yourself to just acknowledge how messed up you are. So that with every movement of your body, you kind of itched to just remind yourself of how deeply messed up the situation is and how sorry you are for it. We still have some vestiges of this, churches that practice Ash Wednesday, right? They still have the ashes on the forehead. It's more of a reminder of mortality, but it's a similar concept. But it's a moment of saying, I'm going to be different. And I think sometimes we don't want that big moment. We want to go, oh, I'm, I'm generally okay. I just need to make some little tweaks. And I think this passage challenges us to at least consider are there things in your life that you need to radically change and be radically different? Do you need to repent of something? Is there somebody that you've been angry at that you need to just stop being angry at? Is there some behavior that you know is bad for you, but you just keep doing it? Is there um, some kind of laziness, spiritual laziness in your life that you kind of just let be okay, that God wants to push you out of? And sometimes it's powerful and necessary to have a moment where you kind of go by yourself somewhere and just spend a moment. I find that praying out loud does this better for me. If I pray in my brain, it doesn't feel like it's real. But if I do it out loud, it does feel real. And like, God, I know that I am a blank. And I am sorry and I want to be different. And when you get to that point, I know for me, um, usually there's some tears involved. Like there's just, just acknowledging that is hard. But James says if you don't root out some of this stuff, eventually you're just going to start killing people because you're just not taking care of the things you need to take care of. And in many ways, that kind of resonates with what we've already talked about in James, right? All right. Uh, there's one more little paragraph here I'll go through quickly. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Um, basically, the point here is God is the one who is in control, okay? God is ultimately our judge. And when you're sitting around trying to nitpick other people, it is not good for you. This passage is very much married to what Jesus talks about. Uh, when you see someone sinning and you see a speck in their eye, make sure that there's not a log in your own eye, right? This is a very similar concept. And James says when we do this, actually, when we spuriously fight against other people and say things that aren't true of them, the ultimate result can be that we're just not... Um, we're just not being honest, and we're, we're, we're even we're making the law a sham, right? Instead of God's law being something that helps us be better people, it becomes our weapon against other people. And that's deeply related to what he's already said uh, in this chapter. Um, I would just say at the end here, a lot of this is just about examining your own heart and knowing who you are. Um, we probably don't, in the culture that we live in, spend enough time talking about knowing yourself. Um... There's a lot of us that do things, sometimes even destructive things to ourselves or to other people, and we'll just say, why did I do that? And if we spent any time examining our own hearts, we'd go, oh, I'm doing that because of this, right? Sometimes we have this, uh, sometimes we need therapy to help us with this. Sometimes therapists are great at going, well, why did that make any sense? And you're like, well, because this and this. Okay, and why'd you do that? Well, because this and this. And about a half hour and $300 later, right, they, you're like, 
oh, that's what I did, you know? You see this thing that you've been holding in that you don't know. And I think James would say, look in the mirror and look at those things and be willing to say that you're wrong and change. The, the, the humbleness to say, I am wrong and God is right is something that's very hard for us, but something James says we need to have. All right, uh, we do a Q&A at the end of every sermon. Uh, we don't have super long today, but I will take Q&A real quick. Anybody? Yeah, and it, but he's speaking to church people, particularly people that go to church, and he's like, you show up on Sunday morning. I mean, he talked about the tongue, right? We can't with our tongue praise our Lord and Savior and then curse other people. And he's like, this is the, you know, don't be this kind of guy. If you're sitting in church and you talk about caring about what God cares about, and then you leave out the door and you only care about what you care about, it's, it's no good. Yeah, double-minded. Uh, once or twice in James, he says, do not deceive yourself. That's really interesting. Uh, you always, you ever see people play chess against themselves? And you're like, uh, how do you do that, right? Um, but yeah, we're pretty good at arguing against ourselves. Any other questions? <laughs>